Praise God. The church said hallelujah. Look where he's brought me from. Can I get a witness? Has God brought you a mighty long way? You ought to praise him. You ought to lift him up. You ought to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Amen. We thank God for praise that looks back. We thank God for praise that looks forward. But the Lord is blessing me right now. Woke me up this morning. Started me on my way. The Lord is blessing me right now. To my dear friend, Pastor Jamal, who is a true man of God, a man of integrity. Amen. Come on, Forrest. I know you know the gift that you have in your pastor. We thank God for Lady Amber and the kids and praise the Lord. And such a marvelous praise team. Amen. Praise God for the music ministry here at Forest. We thank God for so many of you whom we know well as our brothers and sisters in Christ. It is good to know that we're not in this thing by ourselves. Help me somebody. The word fellowship essentially means fellows in the same ship. Come on, somebody. Amen. Koinonia, coming together as one body in Christ. Because when we all get to heaven, there's not going to be a Forest Baptist Church or Temple of Faith. It's going to be one body of Christ. Amen, amen. Temple of Faith, would you please stand? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God, Temple. I love you, I love you, I love you. Temple of Faith, amen. Amen. Almost 14 years I've been their pastor. And I am honored and privileged, also honored and privileged, to be the husband of one wife, Nanette. Amen. Wave your hand, baby. I know you don't want to be 
put on blast. But when you're so beautiful, you're automatically on blast. Uh, whoo, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. <laughs> Amen. And yes, we have three kids. One going on 15, one six, and my three-year-old son. Lord, have mercy on me. Amen. I'm a young man at 46 with a three-year-old son. God has a sense of humor. And the joke's on me. If you're here and not a member of Temple of Faith, but you came at my invitation, would you stand? You're here and not a member of Temple of Faith. Amen. Phyllis and Letha, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Phyllis Wilder and Letha Chandler, our co-workers, we're all Army civilians. We work down at Fort Knox, and I thank God for their presence in our midst. Amen. Thank you, music ministry from Temple of Faith as well. And now a word from our sponsor. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 1 through 4. Would you stand? Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 1 through 4. There is a word from Zion, from God's inerrant, infallible, inspired, immutable word, Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 1 through 4. I'll be reading out of the NIV translation of Holy Writ. The Bible says, when you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not Be afraid of them, because the Lord your God, who brought you up out of Egypt, will be with you when you are about to go into battle. The priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, Hear, Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified by them. For the Lord, your God, is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of our God. For 
the Lord your God is the one who goes with you Mm -hmm. to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. I'd like to talk about your battle plan for 2015. Your battle plan, say my battle plan, for 2015. Beloved, as Christians, we do not live our lives metaphorically on a cruise ship. But the Christian life is lived out on a battleship. We have not been called to comfort, but we have been called to combat. Can I get a witness? Christians need to know how to fight. Let me say that one more time. I said, Christians, as we move into this new year, need to know how to fight. And the book of 2 Corinthians says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The NIV translation says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. And as believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, we are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory. Oh, help me somebody. I said that we're fighting from victory because our ultimate victory was won at the cross of Jesus Christ. When Jesus said, it is finished, he was talking about the work of salvation and everything that is connected to it, we are fighting from victory. How many of you watch wrestling on TV? And the funny thing about so-called wrestling is that it's not really real. The fight, as it were, is fixed. The producers already have determined ahead of time Who's going to win the match? And when Jesus said, it is finished, in essence, what he was saying is, the fight has been fixed by me. Oh, help me somebody. So no matter what you have gone through in 2014, and no matter what you will go through in 2015, God... has already, say already, won the victory. But yet, we still have to go through the motions of battle, of spiritual warfare. 
And I love this particular mosaic passage because it's very practical and it's very poignant and it's very powerful because it gives specific directives or specific marching orders to the army of Israel. But I believe that there are some transcendent principles that leap from ancient Israel into modern day Louisville. What I love about the word of God is that it's relevant. What I love about the word of God is that it's applicable to my everyday life. Notice what the text says in verse 1. When you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours. Do not say do not. Do not be afraid of them. Why? Because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. Very quickly, as you go into the new year, you need a sound battle plan that will prepare you for victory in spiritual warfare. Am I right about it? Benjamin Franklin said it this way, by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. Oh, help me somebody. Somebody else has aptly said, proper planning prevents pitifully poor performance. Oh, Lord, have mercy. And in this particular passage of scripture, we find rules of engagement that we are to follow that are presented in this text. The first of which is expect your foes. Expect your foes. Notice the text says when you go to war. It does not say if you go to war. It says when. In other words, for the people of God, warfare is inevitable. Warfare is here. If you don't believe that we're in spiritual warfare, just turn on the news. Help me somebody. If you don't believe that we're in spiritual warfare, just go home tonight. The battle is raging and it's an invisible war. We can't always see it with the natural eye, but it's real. Yes, the text leads us to believe that we are to expect our foes. In other words, expect to make some enemies. Do I have a witness here? Anybody here been walking with Jesus long enough to know that when you truly say, I have decided to follow Jesus, you will invariably make some enemies. And if you're not the one that's catching hell, you might be raising it. 
If you're never catching any hell in your life, what does that say about your spirituality? What does that say about your Christian testimony? Jesus says in the world, ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. But we are to expect our foes. Notice that having enemies really should be a source of encouragement to us. Because it lets us know that we are a threat to Satan's kingdom. Oh, come on, somebody. Somebody ought to shout amen to that. Isn't it good to know that Satan sees you as being so important that he has a bullseye on you? Because if you're not living for Jesus and doing that which is right, Satan really already has you under his influence. But he is threatened by Christians who are prepared for war. Expect foes. But foes are like nouns. They can be people, places, or things. Oh, I just said something. A foe is not necessarily the enemy out there. Sometimes the biggest foe is the enemy in a me. Oh, I just said something. Sometimes the greatest foe is my flesh. The greatest foe is my inability to say no to temptation. For Christian men all across this country, pornography is the greatest foe. Oh, it got real quiet. For many Christian women, I'm an equal opportunity preacher. For many Christian women, that chat room is the greatest foe. Where you are tempted to become intimate in your conversation with somebody that's not your husband. If you can't say amen, say ouch. In the new year, battles will come, foes will rise up. Am I right about it? In the sport of boxing, the punch that you don't see is the one that hurts you. Come on, somebody. Amen. Make sure that you are not caught off guard. 1 Peter 4.12 says it this way. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you. To test you as though something strange were happening to you. Am I right about it? Expect. Everybody say expect. Expect your foes. But number two. Reject your fears. Come on somebody. I said reject. Your fears. F-E-A-R. Forgetting everything's all right. 
F-E-A-R. False evidence appearing real. And the devil has false evidence that he is the victor. But he already knows intuitively that he's lost the war. The culprit for many of us as believers is fear. Now, 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 fear is not to be a part of our Christian experience, though it is because we're human. Understand that fear is when a person has more faith in their problems than in God's power. I got a question for y'all as we move into 2015. How big is your God? If your God is not big enough to solve your problems, your God is not big enough. If your God is not big enough to mend your marriage, then your God is not big enough. If your God is not big enough to restore your wayward child, then your God is not big enough. But are there about ten folk up in here that believe in a big God, in an awesome God, in a majestic God, in a great God who can do any and everything but fail? That's one thing we need to hold on to as we move into the new year is that whatever we have to face in 2015, God's got it all under control. Woo, I feel like shouting up in here just to know, just to remind myself. Can I preach to myself for a minute? Joel, whatever happens in 2015, just remember who's in control. God is so high you can't get over him. He's so low you can't get under him. He's so wide you can't get around him. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. No weapon that's formed against you shall prosper. It may be formed but it ultimately will not prosper. Oh, I feel my help coming on. Reject your fears. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Can I get a witness? Is there anybody in here Who's learned how to feed your faith. When you feed your faith. Fear will starve to death. Can I get a witness? You got two dogs at war in your life. You got a dog called faith. And a dog called fear. And the question becomes. Which dog is going to win the war? The answer is the one you feed the most. When you stroke fear. Fear will come back to your doorstep. But when you nurture and develop your faith. You can say like Paul. Said in the book of Philippians. 
4.13 I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Turn to your neighbor and say neighbor no matter what you have to go through in 2015 just remember that God is able now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I might ask or think I said he's able turn your neighbor and say he's able now to him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless in the presence of his glory he's able Shadrach Meshach and Abednego knew that God was able they said to King Nebuchadnezzar and his boys the God that we serve is able to deliver us out of the fiery furnace but even if he does not we are still going to serve him do I have any radical righteous saints up in here that are determined to say for God I'll live and for God I'll die there was a rapper back in the day named Master P he said he was about it about it he was a no limit soldier but how many of you know from a biblical perspective Christians gotta be about it about it we gotta be no limit soldiers say yes I said no limit no limit soldiers you know why I call us that because there's no limit in the God that I serve no limit when I focus on the limitlessness of my God then fear begins to dissipate do I have a witness reject your fears the Bible says in verse 1 do not say do not do not be afraid of them why because the Lord your God mm, I like this who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you that's the blessed reassurance that I have is that the same God that brought Israel out of Egypt can bring me out from the miry clay the same God that brought Israel up and out of Egypt can snatch me out of darkness and place me in his wonderful light yes everybody say the same God the same God who was able to empower 
Moses to part the Red Sea is the same God who's got my back. Well, how do I know he's got my back? I'm glad you asked. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Come here preachers. I said surely, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life I said goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life no matter where I go to the left or to the right in and out Surely, 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 goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I feel my help. Coming on, there is a battle plan that if you follow it, you are guaranteed the victory. I'm almost through. I need my handkerchief. Preacher forgetting his handkerchief is second to a preacher forgetting his Bible. Because when you preach the Bible, for all it's worth, you expend some energy. Which, by the way, reminds me of this fact. That when you are at war with the devil, you're going to expend some energy. But just make sure that you're expending the energy that has been invested in you. By God. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to take your stand against the devil's schemes. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood.
but against powers, principalities, rulers over the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. The devil has faces in high places. Do I have a witness? A lot of times you'll be warring against spiritual wickedness in places of authority. Some of you need to recognize that ultimately it's not your boss who's the enemy, but it's the one who is influencing your boss. We need to learn how to fight this warfare spiritually and not physically. Brothers, you will not win this war by going upside somebody's head. Sisters, you will not win this war by cussing people out. Young people, you will not win this war because you got the newest Jordans. What good are Jordans if you don't know where you're going? Clothes don't make the man, man makes the clothes. Make sure you're dressed for success, spiritually speaking. Draping yourself with the whole armor of God. David was unafraid when confronted by an enemy that was seemingly insurmountable. That man's name was Goliath. Everybody else saw Goliath as too big to hit. But David saw Goliath as too big to miss. You can change how you look at it even when the it you're looking at won't change. You'll get that on your way home. 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 37 says, But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord, everybody say the Lord. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Aren't you glad that as long as you have the Lord with you, you can face all kinds of foes. As long as God is with you, you ought not be afraid. When you have God with you, 
You can say like the psalmist said in Psalm 46. God is our refuge and our strength. A very present help in trouble. Yes, number one. Expect your foes. Number two. Reject your fears. And then the third and final point in this battle plan, in this strategy, y'all ready? The third and penultimate point is this. Reset your focus. One of the enemies, and I'm talking about Satan himself, one of the enemy's most deadly strategies against the church is distraction. Okay, let me, let, me, let me paint the picture this way. Whenever churches are arguing, fussing, and fighting over the color of the carpet, that's a distraction. Whenever the church is fussing over things that are petty. Things that really don't have any kingdom consequence. That's a distraction. And Satan has us fighting each other in the church when we should collectively be fighting him. Yes, he has a divide and conquer methodology as well. So we are to reset our focus. I looked that up in the dictionary and it basically says that to reset is to move something back to its original place. Can I make a confession? In almost 16 years of pastoring, periodically in my ministry, I have lost focus. And because I've lost focus, that means the church where I have pastor has lost focus. Because a church can only rise to the level of its leadership. All of us, say all of us. All of us tend to lose focus. And sometimes we are distracted, not necessarily by bad stuff, but we're distracted by stuff that's not the best stuff. Young lady, you're distracted checking out this particular young man, but he's not the best stuff. Young man, you got your eye on a particular job or a particular career, but that's not God's best for you. Am I preaching to somebody? Is anybody here willing to admit that you've been distracted? But it's good news to know that you can reset your focus. Notice it says in verse 2, when you are about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, verse 3, Hear Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. 
Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified by them for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Now understand this, beloved, that the nation of Israel needed the spiritual leadership of the priest because the priest would remind the people and refocus the people's attention on God and his word. Help me somebody. Can I give you one bit of advice for 2015? You need to change the people around you. You need to change a lot of times. You need to change the people who you are allowing to speak into your life. Make sure that it's a person who's like a priest. Someone who's going to give you godly advice. In other words, sometimes you got to get off the phone and go to his throne. Or you need to get away certain spiritually immature people and sometimes they're in the church. And you need to congregate, not to say that you're better than the other folk, but you need to congregate with people who can lift you up and not tear you down. And in the text, the priest was willing and able to lift up. If you're hanging around folk who are always trying to bring you down, you're hanging around the wrong folk. And a lot of times the wrong folk can look good, smell good, taste good. That's why we need to reset our focus. For when you are about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, here, O Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted, etc., I work at Fort Knox as an army civilian, and Letha and Phyllis, you know that eventually on our computers, our passwords have to be reset, okay? Well, recently I got back into the office because I was on TDY, I was away on a business trip, and I was off sick for a couple of days, and I got back to the office, and I discovered that my password had expired. And see, down at Fort Knox, we have this system whereby whenever your password expires, you need to pick up the phone and call the help desk. And whenever you lose focus in your life, you need to pick up the phone that's in your bosom and say, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help my help comes from the Lord number one expect your foes number two reject your fears and number three reset your focus I'm going to my clothes now before some of y'all go to sleep on me y'all ready for the conclusion of the matter 
How many of you love the Rocky movies? I love me some Rocky. I love the story of Rocky 1. When Rocky is the ultimate underdog. And he goes in to fight Apollo Creed. And contrary to what all the prognosticators had said, Rocky took my man to the brink and he lost in a decision, but he won the people's hearts. But then I pressed the fast forward on my button and I moved to Rocky 2. And Rocky 2, Rocky ends up defeating Apollo Creed. Then I move forward just a little bit more. And Rocky now on top of the world. And this is when Rocky got some muscle definition. Come on somebody. And he started looking good and eating good and dressing good and living good. And he goes against a young hungry contender named Clubber Lang. And clubber clubs him on the head and out he goes. Rocky 4, you find Rocky after he's come back and beaten Clubber Lane. He fights Ivan Drago who literally kills his newfound friend Clubber, I'm sorry, Apollo Creed. And nobody expects that he's going to win that match. But guess what happens? He wins the match. And afterwards he says to the Russians, if you can change. And I can change. We all can change. Come on somebody. But I especially like Rocky Five. Just hang on, there's a punchline up in here. Rocky Five. Rocky has since retired. And he's going back into the fight game only this time as a trainer. And he's training up a young, hungry, seemingly indestructible contender named Tommy Machine Gun. And Tommy Machine Gun is being trained up and taught up by Rocky. And he's becoming a better and better fighter. But Tommy, like many of us, got the big head. And he forgot who taught him his lessons. And so fast forward to a scene in a bar. You got Tommy Machine Gun. And Tommy gets into an altercation with Paulie, the brother-in-law and the best friend of Rocky. Can I get a witness? And what happens in that instance is that Tommy Machine Gun knocks down Paulie. And Rocky takes off his jacket. And says to himself, I got to defend my brother's honor. And he squares off against Tommy Machine Gun. 
And guess what happens? Tommy Machine Gun is beating Rocky down. And it seems like Rocky is old and tired. Rocky thinks back to Rocky 1. That still doesn't get him back up. He thinks back to what happened in Rocky 2 and Rocky 3. And that still doesn't get him back up. But he thinks back to when his late trainer Mickey comes to him in a vision and he says get up get up you bum Mickey loves you and that's just what Jesus did even though Mickey had since died in the rocky series he was still able to come back from the dead at least in a vision and say to Rocky get up how many of you are glad that 2,000 years ago a man named Jesus who had been crucified who had been beaten who had been mocked, who had been spat upon, looked to you through the portal of eternity and said, get up, get up. Jesus loves you. Is there anybody here who's thankful to God that in spite of what you've done, Jesus still loves you? In spite of all the mistakes you made in 2014, God gave you another chance. I used to say that my God is the God of a second chance. But then, when I got to mistake number three, and number four, I had to relent and say God is the God of another chance. Anybody here came to watch night on tonight to stand up and declare no matter what's happened in my past, no matter how many times I've been knocked I may have been knocked down but I'm not knocked out do I have a witness is there anybody here who knows God woke you up is there anybody here who knows there was a bullet with your name on it is there anybody here who's ever committed a sin that you don't want anybody at church to know about but God knows all about it and he still looks at you in 2015 and says get up get up Jesus loves you get up get up turn your neighbor 
shake them say get up get up Jesus loves you get up as long as you can look up you can get up aren't you glad Jesus died so you can get up he's got all power and if he's got all power you got access trust in the Lord with all your heart lean not to thine own understanding in all thy ways acknowledge him he will he will direct thy path the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord give God some praise in the house as you stand to your feet Some of you are asking yourself, what makes this preacher preach with so much passion? Why is he preaching this hard? Can I tell you? I'm sick of Christians living defeated lives. I'm sick of Christians struggling with the same stuff that people are struggling with outside of these doors. I'm sick of Christians living with no joy. Most people come to church, and Pastor Jamal, you know this, most people come to church, they don't have real consistent joy. How many of you, listen, how many of you are tired of just being religious and coming to church? How many of you are tired of struggling with pet sins, private sins that you've been struggling with all your life? And you come to church and You're emotionally excited, but then you go back and you do the same thing over and over and over again. You say, God, I ain't never going to do that again. And after the sixth time you say that, you're still on that treadmill. So the first part of this invitation is is actually for the one who's already a Christian. It's actually for the one who's already saved. What does it mean to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. What does it mean to be saved? But if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That may be you. You've already confessed Christ as your Savior, and you are authentically saved. You are authentically born again. But here's the problem. You've been living more like an ain't than a saint. 
and you want to commit yourself in 2015 that by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to live and walk in the newness of life. As the counselors come, maybe there's someone here already saved, already a member of either Forest Baptist or Temple of Faith Baptist Church. You're already a Christian. You, you Listen, you know already, or hopefully you know, that you're going to heaven. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 that we can have the assurance of salvation. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. These things I've written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. If you're already saved and you desire a closer walk with God in 2015, these counselors are prepared to pray with you and counsel with you. You can come. But secondly, we extend the call to Christian discipleship for those that don't know Jesus as Lord and personal Savior. How do you get to know him again? A, admit that you're a sinner, that your sin separates you from God. B, Believe that Jesus Christ is the only solution for your sin problem. Died and rose again for your sin. C, confess him openly as your Lord and personal Savior. Your belief that he did in fact rise from the dead. If you're here tonight and you cannot say, if Jesus came back before the clock strikes midnight tonight, that you would be sure you would go to heaven. That's a problem. That says that either you're a true Christian, but you've never internalized the belief that your salvation is secure, or it says that you're not saved in the first place. Whoever you are, maybe there's someone here today, you don't have to, you don't have to broadcast your sin, you don't have to be specific with your sin. All of us have sinned. All of us got issues, but you know that there's a particular foe that's been holding you back in 2014, and you don't want that foe to hold you back in 2015. We invite you to come. Whoever you are, whatever you need, maybe you just need prayer, whatever it is, we'll take time.